When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the Naked Ride Home and Time the Conqueror episode of the After the Deluge podcast. This is the second to last episode of the show, so the next one's going to be the finale, which is pretty crazy. Uh, Thanks so much for going the distance with me, especially if some of those later albums might be ones you weren't as familiar with. The Naked Ride Home is Jackson Brown's 12th full-length album and was released in 2002. It peaked at number 36 on the Billboard 200 chart, and The Night Inside Me reached 25 on the Adult Contemporary chart. We're also going to talk about Time the Conqueror in this episode, but I'll jump in and introduce that one midway through. Before I get to my guest, the Rolling Stone review for The Naked Ride Home was written by James Hunter, and here's a sampling of that. From the cool romanticism of 1993's I'm Alive to the textured ruminations of 1996's Looking East, Jackson Brown has explored, with a sense of flash that answers only to itself, just how far a polished singer-songwriter can go. The Naked Ride Home stays in this noble tradition— Looser and warmer and more live-sounding than Brown's recent work, yet still passionately crafted and sung. The songs take on both domestic mysteries and political realities with a varied mid-tempo dependability that turns richer and more resonant upon re-listenings. The songs For Taking the Trouble and About My Imagination integrate reggae and soul so unobtrusively that the music mirrors exactly the precise casualness of Brown's voice. He is the sound of unfrantic L.A. cool engaged with the long view. And now to our guest, who is Rolling Stone Magazine's Jonathan Bernstein. Jonathan is actually younger than me, kind of like some of the first few guests I had on this series when we were millennials talking about music from the 70s. But we bought these albums in college, and it was cool to talk about that. Jonathan found Jackson Brown through his parents pretty much just like I did. My first trip to the store to buy a Jackson Brown album was The Day the Naked Ride Home came out, which is while I was in college. And Jonathan had a similar experience with Time the Conqueror just a few years later. In what I would describe as just a beautiful, perfect coincidence, Jonathan also happened to interview Jackson Brown on the same day we did this interview just a few hours earlier. He'll talk more about that in our conversation, but that's just a beautiful bit of serendipity that you just, life is weird like that. Also of note, this interview took place the day after things really got going in Minneapolis in the wake of George Floyd's murder. Uh, Jonathan went to college in the Twin Cities, and that whole morning, before interviewing Jackson Brown, he was actively reporting on how the city's musicians were responding, and we talk about that as well. Um, You can follow Jonathan on Twitter at John Byrne, J-O-N-B-E-R-N, and you can follow me and this show at Cox Justin, C-O-X-J-U-S-T-I-N, or email me at justincox22 at gmail.com. Before I kick it over to our conversation, I'll say that the last episode is going to be a really cool one. Um, Not only is it going to be Standing in the Breach, which is a really good album, but it's also a chance for me to kind of step back with the guests and sort of appreciate everything that Jackson Brown has done and everything that this podcast has been from a few different angles. So don't miss it. Um... Here is the conversation I had with Jonathan Bernstein about these two albums that came out in the mid 2000s. And the world has been showing you how it's no place for your t- 
Hello, Jonathan. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for so thanks so much for having me. How are you doing today in quarantine related news and everything else that's happening in the country? I spent the morning reporting uh, on uh, on what's happening in, in Minnesota right now in Minneapolis by talking to some artists who live in the Twin Cities and just getting their thoughts and feelings. So that was pretty heavy. And um, but uh, I'm doing okay. I'm happy to be uh, pivoting towards. Uh, thinking about Jackson Brown uh, this afternoon and uh, in a complete uh, complete coincidence, two, literally two hours before we started recording this podcast, I had a 15-minute interview with Jackson Brown for another story that I was working on and I got to talk to him for the first time, uh, which was a total delight. That is incredible. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, uh, I'm interviewing him just for a story I'm writing about it, another singer-songwriter named Blake Mills in LA who Jackson has been sort of like a champion of for years and uh, he was he was wonderful. He was really generous. And uh, at the end of the interview, I just mentioned to him that I'd be going on your podcast. And he said it made his day to hear that. That's so awesome. And that makes my day to hear that. So, yeah, it's funny. A few a few people as I've start launched this podcast, Blake Mills put this album out. And so more than one person has sent me that album and turned me on to his music. And he's excellent. Yeah, he's 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 really cool and really good and kind of does something totally different than Jackson. But um, totally falls under the sort of like umbrella of of just LA artists that Jackson really seems to serve as this like benevolent grandfather and champion of out there and like in, in a way that continues to impress and surprise me because yeah he's just Jackson is more with it than than most people of his most artists of his generation in a really cool really cool way. I don't know if it was last this past Christmas or the one before that when all of a sudden there's a Phoebe Bridgers and Jackson Brown song. Have to be alone to be lonesome. It's easy to forget. Sadness comes crashing like a brick through the window. And it's Christmas, so no one can fix it. It was like how are these two people singing together on this? This is like a gift made specifically for me. Not just for me, but it feels that way. Totally. And like the, the last thing I'll say on that is, uh, I told Jackson this today, but you know, the first time that I first interviewed Blake Mills a couple of years ago, and he had just started his own label. This is like 2018. And I asked Blake who he had been trying to sign for his label back then. And back then, Blake Mills told me that Jackson Brown had told him about this up and coming flamenco singer named Rosalia that wow. that Jackson Brown loves and that Blake Mills tried to sign her. And this is like this is before Rosalia for anyone who doesn't know has become an, an international superstar and pop star uh in the last year and a half to two years. And I told and Jackson Brown was Jackson Brown was he was telling you today he was like going to see Rosalia perform in, in Spain, you know, he has such a close relationship with that country and fan base there. He was like telling me about seeing shows of hers like years ago and how how much of a fan he was before anyone else knew about her on a, certainly in the United States. And that was just sort of like, goes to show you um, his how his ears operate in a really inspiring way. For taking the trouble, for hanging on and trying. Well, that is an amazing, 
crazy coincidence and very cool, fun way to start this. All right, so today, as I said in the intro, we're talking about the Naked Ride Home and Time the Conqueror. Um, one thing I've been asking some of the guests as I've done some of these, these uh, the first episodes are all one album at a time. In kind of these later ones, I've kind of grouped some together. And in my head, they're from the same decade, or they feel like they're of not the same moment, but a sort of similar they feel tasteful to talk about together. Do you do you feel that way about these two, or is that me um, like creating a format for this podcast? No, totally. I mean, I am you know I'm I'm a huge fan of Jackson. I can't say that I know every single song on every record in his discography, but these two albums, you know, I think for a lot of people who a lot of his younger fans, um, these two albums sort of came at this moment, at least for me, and and I understand maybe somewhat for you as well they sort of came at this time when I was, when I was discovering his music for the first time, uh, mostly through my dad, uh, who, who has been a huge fan of Jackson Brown since day one. Uh, but you know, it's like these two naked, uh, naked ride home and, and really too the, the solo acoustic live albums that come out, I believe in between this record and time to conquer yep. those records. And then, and then time to conquer are, you know, it's that, for for any sort of like weirdo young music fan and who's in high school or college or the twenties, who is like for whatever reason attracted to music by artists who are much older than them and like discovering their legendary albums, there's always this really exciting moment when that that artist puts out their first album of new material and it's like the you know since you've become a fan and yeah, it's just it's such an exciting moment and you know. I'm sure you and I have spent more time listening to Time to Conquer than probably a lot of Jackson Brown fans, older Jackson Brown fans who have been there since day one and maybe had more a different perspective on it. But these two records both were like really formative for me in terms of my own fandom of, of Jackson. It's really cool to hear you say that because, yeah, I don't know exactly how old you are. I'm 36. And so I was I was in my like first, second year of college when this came out. And this was the first time I was like, there's a new Jackson Brown album out. I'm going to like Best Buy or Barnes and Noble or, or, and I'm grabbing a CD and I'm coming back and I'm listening to it in my Honda and like connecting with it in a way I'd connected with a ton of his music leading up to it. But Naked Ride Home was like the first time I like knew a release date and went and got it. And that's like, that'll stay with me forever. Totally. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm just behind you. I'm, I'm, I'm about to turn 31. So for me, that record was that, that exact, I had that exact experience, but for time to conquer, I remember I was, a, I was a sophomore in college when that record came out in 2008. And I remember going to cheapo records in, in St. Paul, Minnesota and, and buying the CD and sort of devouring, devouring it. I had that sort of same exact experience. I think, uh, yeah, I think naked ride home. I didn't naked ride home. I didn't really, discover in its fullness until a little later but uh i have vivid memories of my, my dad really liked a couple songs on that record he would always play uh in particular my stunning mystery companion the last track on that on that album which i just love and I, I i remember like hearing that song was was for me one of my gateways actually weirdly into into jackson music my stunning mystery companion So let's go from there. Let's sort of just dip into um, uh, Naked Ride Home. And the way I'm approaching this stuff is generally we'll kind of go from one album to the next one, but we can go in any order on the albums and feel free to ping pong between the two as as conversation goes too. 
Yeah. Um, so Naked Ride Home comes out in 2002. And the both of these albums, they come out at the timing of when they come out is interesting. Because if you're putting out an album in September of 2002, you have 9-11 exactly one year before. Mm-hmm. Especially for a person like Jackson Brown, who who is thinking about the sort of state of the world and yeah. to, and to varying degrees that's, you hear that in the songs on, on some songs on both of these albums. Well, if you're putting out an album in 2002, you've written a good amount of those songs prior to two, September, 2001. Right. And so it's, it's interesting timing. And then even with time, the conqueror is 2008. And so you're at like end of George W. Bush heading into Obama. It's just a, something about the timing of those two albums. And when they come out is like, very interesting reference points in the in the 2000s for me. Yeah, that's true, and especially with it's. Uh, I just looked up in time. The Conqueror came out in September 28, which I think or s- September 2008, and that's like like with uh, Naked Ride Home and and 9/11. It's like he just missed the boat to have to for Jackson to write a record about the recession and the finance and the stock market crash because you can tell that those songs in Time the Conqueror were written in that like just pre pre-recession pre-crash but like escalated iraq war george bush fatigue moment or a lot you know a lot of those songs on that record feel like they're really inspired by that like very sort of specific but also kind of nebulous like 2005 to 2006 period totally so when you go into um naked ride home i've been listening to it a lot the last few days and like i said the buying that album like i'm a the, the whole the reason this podcast is structured the way it is out my album is because i'm i'm just one of those people who loves the idea of a full album you know mm-hmm. like i even even when i listen on spotify and streaming devices now i just save albums and listen to them i'll shuffle them to make sure i hear songs that i don't get to all the time yeah. but i still tend to just like listen to albums and so putting a cd into like the deck of my car in college I heard Naked Ride Home, like just like the sort of intro kind of rock and guitar of that song so many times. And it's like, it's like a, like the bell that they ring on Pavlov's dogs. Like it puts me in Monterey where I was going to college in this old car. Like it just takes me there and, and it's a, it's a really cool and clever song. Just take off your clothes and I'll drive you home, I said. kind of feels like a adventure with a person you're kind of courting but it's really a love story to the person to to people who are already in a relationship yeah it's just a very cool song yeah i feel like i mean i'm curious i'm curious to hear some of your thoughts on some of the deeper tracks on this album because you know i've been listening to it a bunch in the last few days as well and but i don't feel as intimately familiar with this record but i do feel like songs like naked ride home songs like my stunning mystery companion were kind of like the first time when late middle-aged Jackson Brown sort of, when he sort of figured out how to sort of represent the sort of classic, you know, romance guy Jackson Brown thing that he had sort of always been doing so, so artfully since the beginning of his career, but from from this completely different and, and oftentimes even more moving perspective of, of someone who has obviously been through, been through a lot, been through some, yeah, been through some rough patches in terms of some of his romance, you know, personal life, but also is able to sort of talk about and articulate these different sort of like, yeah, expressions of love and, and romance and lust in really yeah. kind of moving ways. They come from a place of like real comfort. Like you feel like he's 
like you feel love for this person and you can feel just like a sort of like exhale relaxation kind of feeling especially especially those two songs naked ride home and my stunning mystery companion yeah is there a song on this record that you feel like is the hidden gem of of, of naked ride home you know i i can't try and say that any song is more appealing to me than my stunning mystery companion that's my favorite song too yeah but i also love night inside me track two night in my eyes night inside me there was a shadow Like a lot of these songs creep up over like six minutes and everything. Like it's not a yeah. effort to, to make hits so much. It's like an effort to make like just a really good album that feels cohesive all the way through. Casino Nation was an interesting one for me to like take in in college. Like at that point, I'm hearing artists who are speaking in, in a similar way, like like when you're hearing like Rage Against the Machine and everything like that. But I wasn't hearing that from artists like Jackson Brown, you know? I wasn't hearing this like sort of scrutinizing look at like the machinations of how the country works and how the world works right it was something that like i spent a ton of time sort of thinking about and kind of zooming out on who he was as an artist out beyond the ethernet the spectrum spreads dc the daylight the cowboy mogul rides never worry where the gold for all this glow is going the goofiness of the lyric on casino nation where he's he's where he's singing about out beyond the ethernet the spectrum spreads it's such a great it's such a great middle-aged like early internet adapter like internet lingo sort of nonsense lyric that is kind of really endearing too (laughs) yeah i remember being like um it's i'm in my dorm room there's no (laughs) wi-fi at that time they like issued us a router with an ethernet cable and (laughs) a thing that at the time is the future and now is the past yeah I think About My Imagination is another really cool song. I actually think the song finds this really cool groove on the back half of the album, actually. I kept my eyes open and tried to see The point of what went on in front of me I kept what moved me, forgot about the rest Took my young imagination to the I saw Jackson for the first time um, on the Time the Conqueror tour, and must have been 2008. And I remember that song was a pretty big part of his set at the time, uh, about my imagination. I think, and I remember really sort of getting into that song through that. Yeah, I might have gone. To, I might have gone around that time with my family. I know at one point I saw him, and it was the opener was Keb Mo, who like plays mm. on some of these. So do, you were saying you saw another show. Was that one of the kind of solo ones? Yeah, so I saw him. Uh, this sort of gives you a little bit of a sense of like what I was like when I was a, ni- a normal 19-year-old in the late aughts. So I saw Jackson Brown by myself twice in college. <laughs> um, first time <laughs> first time was in, on the Time to Conquer tour, and the second time was, I believe, in the f- spring of 2011. 
Um, exactly. It was one of his solo acoustic shows. And I was like, I'd just seen him. The show was super expensive, but I was like, I need to, like I said, I had fallen in love with so much of his music through those solo acoustic um, live records. And I was like, I haven't, I remember thinking like, I haven't truly seen him in the way that like, I really need to see him until I've seen him by himself. And I didn't regret it for a second. I saw a couple of those solo acoustic shows too. And they were I mean, I love the full band ones and everything, and I love the way he arranges music, but those are kind of unmatched. They're just special. The storytelling, um, yeah. I want to, since I have you on as a guest, and I know that you had, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to intersperse some songs in these and stuff. Sure. I want to transition over to the one that you kind of formed your bond with and your story of kind of coming to it. Don't you want to be like the strength and love in the place of Time the Conqueror is Jackson Brown's 13th full-length album and was released in September of 2008. It peaked at number 20 on the Billboard 200 and hit number 2 on the Independent Album Chart. Like the previous album, this Rolling Stone review was written by James Hunter, who begins with a very 2008-sounding sentence. After spending the late part of last year stumping for John Edwards, Jackson Brown continues to address the frustration, outrage, and heartbreak over the Bush administration on his new album. Time the Conqueror finds him protesting with typical directness on tracks like Where Were You, an elegant boogie about the U.S. response to Hurricane Katrina. Brown recorded with his longtime quartet in a style that evokes his recent solo acoustic work, and their quicksilver craft leaves no need for overworked arrangements. Backed by two soulful new singers, Siobhan Morris and Alethea Mills, on the drums of war, he deplores the U.S. government's enthusiasm for the Iraq adventure, quote, long before the peace was lost. But not everything here is political. On Just Say Yeah, Brown sings about watching for a woman's sports car in his neighborhood, and on Live Nude Cabaret lifts a vision of a strip club into metaphysical places. As he contemplates issues of love and travel, he's always assessing the ways the world has changed since the 60s. On going down to Cuba, he recalls flying there before the embargo, and he remembers the summer of love unsentimentally on Off to Wonderland, admitting that, back when he was an unknown band, his generation didn't know how to, quote, find our way after RFK and Martin Luther King. And yet, he remains hopeful. Do you feel it today? Love is still underway, he sings. Seriousness, after all, doesn't have to be a drag. And now we will jump back to our conversation to travel back to 2008 with Jonathan as he recalls his goofy self during his first year of college. I will add quickly that later in this conversation, you're going to hear some background city noises. It's nothing that distracts from the specifics of what we're talking about, but... You might notice it, um, especially in the final 15 seconds when a car like does a good solid like drag race down the street. So that's something you can look forward to in addition to the rest of this very enjoyable conversation. time the conqueror was announced and when it was coming out and sort of where you were how you came to the album the main thing i remember specifically like on you know my sort of version of, of you saying you know how naked ride home brings you back to 
back to Monterey and back to being in college. The main thing I remember about listening to Time to Conquer was, again, <laughs> so goofy. To, it sounds so goofy, but, you know, I was like a, I was a sophomore in college. I was 19. I was, I was having a little bit of a tough time in the beginning of college, sort of making friends and with girls and things like that. And I felt a little bit isolated and lonely. And uh, I just remember like a few of these songs just like specifically I remember, I remember the song Just Say Yeah I wanted to be somebody you'd see when you're feeling good I started looking for your little energy in my neighborhood just like being such a being such a sort of like fantastical escapist song for me uh at the time, I just like I thought it was this just like incredibly empowering, this incredibly empowering thing to listen to and to try to sort of like live up to. And I mean, I, I clearly was not; I was absolutely not living up to that. You were just going to Jackson Brown concerts by yourself, exactly. But I think I needed I needed people like <laughs> I really needed people like him to be sort of uh, putting out these sort of like bombastic, uh, these very smooth five. You know, just say he has like a a very smooth six minute come on that I think I needed to sort of like study. It felt like I needed to sort of study in a way at the time. <laughs> just say, yeah. Like I, I was listening and like, I had it on with like headphones the other day and you can, he has some of that stuff where you can kind of hear him smiling while singing. You can, mm. you know, when you hear that in a, hear that in a song, like, yeah. and I began to cook up a plan to take you out of town. got a little bit of like a modern day ready or not vibe like the song ready or not from for every man it's kind of like the, a tiktok of like a getting in with a girl and then that leading on to it probably isn't a conscious reference to that but it felt like a decades later telling of a similar kind of story and yeah i mean like time the conqueror came out at this time when i was just like i think i was probably at my ultimate peak of sort of like classic rock obsession i mean bruce springsteen was like the the most important single probably the single most important like thing in my life at the at that time uh and so i was just like obsessed with the 60s i was obsessed with the 70s i feel like one of the compelling things about this record is the way that he sort of like uses it's a it's a nostalgic record but nostalgia is kind of like the subject matter too he has become really good like quietly really good at sort of singing about and, and tackling like like sort of nostalgia and its traps and all that. And I feel like he really started to do that. He really sort of like mastered that on this record. On one hand, you can call it nostalgia. On another hand, you can call it like grappling with the passing of time. I mean, it's called Time the Conqueror, which is right. like, it's a lot of looking back. And, and I think on Off to Wonderland, which is pretty explicitly looking back at a, another time, he even name checks for every man, like. Right. Up so high in my tree Living off a wonderland Living with an unknown man Waiting there for everyone Revisiting it was really fun over the past few weeks and I, I noticed that, you know, the songs that stick with me today are, are, are actually the songs that I, I liked back then. A lot of those songs that are looking back are the ones that's, that I feel like have held up the best. Um, I love giving that heaven away. Uh, that's one yeah. of my favorites on this record. Giving that heaven away. Giving that heaven away. 
laugh when I was listening to the opening line of that song. It really feels like he's like kind of channeling his his brother Warren Zevon a few times on this record. <laughs> Just for, for 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 listeners who don't know the song, the the first lines of "Giving a Heaven Way" are pretty nova. He rhymes pretty nova with one year ova, the legal age of consent. <laughs> it's like it's supremely creepy for his verse, uh, in a way. In a way that I think I do think, like you were saying, I, I think he is self self aware of that. <laughs> um, Into the arms of night, with your endless light, with your face alight, and your This, this period of time, part of what I think binds these two albums when I talk about it, I mean, there's a decade that binds them, the 2000s, which are yeah. its own, it's, they're, they're its own thing, you know, like they're, they're a very specific thing. And sonically, like, it feels like on both of these kind of like a very loose, whimsical electric guitars, like not fully strummed, but a lot of like electric guitars as texture, not acoustic mm-hmm. strummed guitars very often, like you'd hear on old ones, not like... Mm-hmm heavy ripping guitars you get some of that on naked ride home more than time the conqueror it's what feels like a it binds these two records to me yeah that's a really good point i think time the conqueror the song specifically kind of gets there it's like just this cool little bending looping light tone it's really good time on my side stole away in the slipstream mentioned to Jackson that uh, I mentioned to him specifically that I was talking about these two records today and he his only reaction to that was that uh, he was like oh yeah Time to Conquer uh, I, I still really like that record and he talked about how he I guess he still plays the title track uh, solo like in a stripped down way all the time still I've never heard him do that I haven't seen him live in a few years but I guess he still does it with the two uh, I'm blanking on their names but the two backup singers who sing on this record are still touring with him he was talking about how um, like how much that song still resonates with him, which I think is cool because I think that, you know, uh, it's it's quite often that these sort of mid to late career albums for artists like Jackson Brown sort of fade, like a lot of those songs do sort of tend to fade away after the album cycle or they, they often do. It was neat to hear him talk about that song as like a pretty sort of still central part of what he considers to be his like you know, body of work that he presents every night. Yeah. Do you, do you, as someone who writes for Rolling Stone and thinks and covers, thinks about music and writes a lot about it, have you had any sense or experience with how like late career artists feel about that? If you're, if you're decades in, there's no scenario where the, the, the album you make is going to supersede the thing that like got you in, in your early part of your career, but you care about it, right? Like I'm curious yeah. To me, Jackson Brown seems pretty comfortable with that. Like he makes the album doesn't yeah. seem like it's trying to be anything more massive than it is. But I am curious if you've had any experience talking to musicians or artists about that. Or yeah, that's a good question. I feel like there's there's a slight range of artistic angstiness in, in, with that type of thing, right? And I think that, but I do find that most, barring the people like the you know the people like Roger Waters and Paul McCartney who are still playing stadiums, like. I think if you're in your 60s and your 70s and you're still making and you're still sort of touring to, to full houses every every night, like I think there's a lot of 
of gratefulness that that comes with that. And most artists that I talk to are sort of, you know, like John Prine who passed away a few months ago. In every interview, he would talk about how like there were a few songs in his song in his catalog, like Sam Stone and Angel from Montgomery that he felt like a duty to play every single night for, you know, for anyone who might be seeing him for the first time. And I think that sentiment, I think I hear that sentiment a lot. Um, the two singers are Siobhan Morris and Alethea Mills, if I'm yes. pronouncing that correctly. Thank you for that. They're, they're really good. They're super prominent on on Time the Conqueror. Yeah, I remember when I well, I mean when I saw that full band tour, they were they were an incredibly prominent part of of the live show in a really in a really uh, wonderful way. I think they probably definitely sang lead at some point. Yeah, they're they're a huge part of this album and and this sound. Um, I re- I recently did an interview with um, a music writer named Holly Gleason, and we talked about Lives in the mm-hmm. Balance and World in Motion. And she, what she talked a lot about that I thought was really cool. And those were albums that I had not like really, really, really sank my teeth into. And, and talking to her was a good opportunity to do it. Yeah. I find that on this album, the song going down to Cuba is like, it's just about the most happy sounding song, like rich with details and specifics. It's pure positivity about a place, but it does this. It's a very Jackson Brown thing. It does the job of like making you like, wait, why, why can't you go there? Like, it's, it's just a really effective way to approach talking about something like that in a, from a place of pure personal experience and, like, positivity. I'm going down to Cuba someday soon Following that Caribbean moon It's been too long since I've been there I'm going down there to see my friends Down where the rhythm never where women wear gardenias in their hair. People I think, yeah, in revisiting this record, going down to Cuba is wonderfully corny, but it, it does work. And, and I think for that exact reason that you say, um, I sort of hate that I fall into this camp because it's such a cliche and it's, you know, a lot of not great people fall into this camp. But I do have a hard time sometimes with, with, with sort of like barnstorm with sort of soapbox Jackson, not because of anything he's saying, but you know, like I have a, I have a, I still have a little bit of a hard time with a song like the drums of war as a song. super interesting because I'm kind of like fast forwarding through a person's career and almost time traveling and kind of watching it evolve and change. And so I'm, I'm going from the like seventies to the eighties to the nineties to the two thousands. You can sort of think of all the big historical things that are happening throughout that. And you can kind of think of like what Jackson Brown is doing during it. And I'm not, I would be totally lying if I were to ever say that like world in motion means more to me than late for the sky. Cause it doesn't. And it never will, you know, like, those songs on Lay for the Sky are masterpieces in part because you're, they're there for you to unpack. Whereas some of those songs on World in Motion, Lives in the Balance, they just kind of come at you and they're, like you said, they're a little bit more soapboxy. What's interesting though is like 
like you you this spent this morning calling and talking to artists in Minnesota while there are riots happening after a African American person was killed by a cop who kept his knee on him for eight straight minutes and everyone could just watch the person die. I've spent a good amount of my life not talking directly about those kind of things and I've come to re- I've come to respect the idea of someone like taking the risk of being on the soapbox even if it like can occasionally make me cringe or make me I don't fall in love with it as much from an artistic perspective. It's like the the necessity for doing it, the stock in that has like risen for me in recent years. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, yeah, I mean, anytime an artist gets to the point where they feel comfortable enough in their career to feel like they are able to say whatever the hell I, they want, I am always 100% in favor and in support and, and respect the hell out of I respect the hell out of Jackson Brown, uh, you know, recording a, a six minute song where he's like sort of spoken word asking why is impeachment not on the table? Like, it's great. Jackson Brown <laughs> should definitely do that. It's, it's, it, it just, like you said, uh, songs, drums and board lacks the, the nuance and the sort of subtlety of, of a song like Fountain of Sorrow that we sort of fell in love with Jackson for. Um, but I, I love, I love sort of, I love cranky, cranky activist Jackson. Yeah. I think like at the end of the day, when I was thinking about these records, um, just critically, you know, both of these albums were reissued and I was like reviewing them, you know, now yeah. today, I feel like there, and this, this may be harsh to the, to the, to the hardcore Jackson brand community, but if you took the best five songs from each one and, and put them on, if, if these two records were one record, you would have a, like a top three, all-time Jackson Brown record like it would be uh, it would be like a classic Jackson Brown record I think that's perfectly fair star of happiness star of love lead us to that shore that only women hold the promise of it's interesting I just I was just sort of looking at his output I guess like, since since that's actually really since 1996 he's he's put out a record every six years and we, we appear to be due for one this year yeah there's one there's one coming this year right right um, i guess he's on that six year he's on that six year schedule makes god i haven't looked so it's really every six years right now yeah look yeah for the last for the last 24 years he's he's put them out exactly every six years damn very clean yeah, yeah, no. He was supposed to. He was supposed to tour with James Taylor, and that got canceled. And yeah, right. he got coronavirus. And then, uh, but yeah, album's still gonna come out, and that's cool. That'll be great. Do you? Is it too much to put you on the spot to try and draft your five from the two albums? Not at all. Uh, I think that'd actually be easy for me to do. If I if I were making like a double record here, or you know, a single record of these two records for Conqueror, I would I would put off of Wonderland. Giving that heaven away, just say yeah. I think the title track, "Time to Conquer," and probably going down to Cuba. I think that's my. I think that's my side A from, from this album. And then I think for definitely the first two tracks, "Naked Ride Home," "Night Inside Me," about my imagination, my stunning mystery companion, and uh, let's get let's give Jackson Casino Nation. Let's put that one on. There that's sure. good. I think you should make a playlist. <laughs> Um, so you were in you were in 
St. Paul, Minnesota when this album came out. Is that right? Yeah, I went to college in St. Paul, Minnesota, and he would, Jackson was one of those guys, I mean, the Twin Cities were, were I didn't know this going to, moving to Minnesota for college, but they were this just like haven for live music. Every, every artist plays the Twin Cities and Jackson. I mean, I saw him twice in four years, and I, there very well may have been a, like a show that I missed uh, that I that I didn't see while he was there. He came, he came all the time to these various theaters all in Minneapolis that he would play these beautiful small theaters. Um, nice. Well, it was really awesome talking to you, and that's like pretty hilarious that uh, you guys talked on this same day. This is like you got a, a full morning of this pretty dark situation happening in Minnesota, and then uh, rest of the day thinking about Jackson Brown. Absolutely. It was, uh, I was, I was giddy talking to him. I, I'd never interviewed Jackson Brown before and he's, you know, it's a bucket list interview for me for sure. Awesome. Well, I look forward to watching for the Blake Mills story and thanks again for taking your time in. Thanks so much. This is a, this is a treat. Far from the arms of Thank you again to Jonathan Bernstein. I really enjoyed that definitely come back next week we're talking about standing in the breach and also just jackson brown's whole career so hey you can follow me on twitter at routine layup and if you're really enjoying the show you can go to patreon.com slash after the deluge to support it and get some very cool bonus content there is a link in the show description <laughs>